0: A couple of things as we get ready to begin. I, I know, I know, I know, I know uh, that uh, uh, those who are guests of ours today, uh, you come and you hear the preacher talking about money, and it's like, wow, um, and, and especially if this is your first time, I, and, and I don't apologize in the sense that we shouldn't be talking about money, we should. Uh, but I do want you to know that it's not every week. It will be for a while. Uh, no, it, uh, starting the first Sunday in June, we're going to start a new series. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's going to be a great series. I'm excited about it, already uh, excited about that series. But, uh, but over the next several weeks, we need to understand what the Bible teaches about our stewardship. And uh, about how followers of Christ are supposed to give, um, and and this is important for us. It's important for the for the church to understand what Jesus teaches us and what God expects from us uh, when it comes to the matter of money. And uh, Jesus didn't hesitate uh, teaching about money, and and neither should we. And so. Um, if you are a guest, I, I just want you to know, uh, just hold on. Uh, I believe that there is some great truth that can uh, influence you and help you and your family. Um, if you're not yet a follower of Christ, or you're just having questions about what it means to be a follower of Christ, you come and you hear me talk about um, money, um, and I, I know it's confusing. I know that there are some principles that we're going to be talking about today that, that are absolutely foreign to what you have held to, and, and I understand that. Uh, but I do pray and I hope that you'll just hold on over these next few minutes and, and even the next few weeks and just keep coming back and, and uh, because I believe that there is something in each one of these messages uh, that God has especially for you. And it may have to do with money, may not have anything to do with money, but, but I do believe that there is some special word that God has for you Uh, today. Uh, And for our church family, um, again, uh, as we talked uh, and as I've shared, some messages uh, are like soft pillows upon which we can rest our heads and find great comfort. Uh, Other messages are more like a bag of rocks uh, that uh, pound us a little bit, but they're still made uh, and given from God's Word for our betterment and, and for, for us to be who God wants us to be. So, so church family, just hold on, and, and uh, uh, again, my commitment is I'm not going to try to guilt you. That video was as close to guilt as I'll get, um, but uh, I'm not going to try to guilt you or anything like that. That's why this message today is going to be real simple. It's bare bones. Uh, it's not complicated and it's not complex, uh, but I hope it communicates to you what God's expectations are. Um, uh, here's the way the journey begins for a follower of Christ. Uh, the journey begins for us as we um, somewhere along our way, we begin to realize that there is something incomplete in our life, that there is some missing puzzle pieces, and, and we can't find those puzzle pieces to put our life together. Uh, and somewhere on that journey, and, and uh, some of you made that Uh, got to that point in your journey when you were in vacation Bible school as a child and others when you were at student camp and others as as adults. Uh, But somewhere on that journey, you come to that place where you recognize that there is something distinctively wrong on the inside of you and you can't fix it. As much as you try, you can't fix it. It's like, uh, for me, in my journey, it's like I, I had my hands clenched around my heart and I had my heart closed off to everything except myself, where I was trying to protect my heart, guard my heart, nourish my heart, uh, uh, feed my heart, everything. I, w- I was in that protection mode. And, and, and so I was walking around with my heart clenched inside two closed uh, hands. But there comes that point where you recognize not only can you not fix what's wrong with you, but, but God can. And that's the beautiful picture of, of what we believe as a church, that God in His great grace, even when we were sinners separated from God by our sin, that in His grace and because of His great love, He sent Jesus Fully God, fully man, he sent Jesus from heaven to earth, born in Bethlehem, lived his life without sin, in perfect intimacy with his heavenly Father, but he sent Jesus on a mission to seek us and to rescue us. And in that day when I saw that Jesus and his death on a cross as payment for my sin, his resurrection from the dead as the offering of God's grace exploding on my soul to give me life. When I saw Jesus for who he is, I fell literally on my knees, but most importantly, I opened my hands and my heart to God. And God's grace exploded my soul. It was in that moment when I repented my sin and placed my faith in Jesus that God poured from His throne all the grace I could handle. So much so that my soul was overflowing with this grace. And and when I use the term grace, I'm talking about the that act of God where he makes himself so real to us that we can, we can feel him, we can experience him, we can know him. And it's in that mighty act of his grace where he opens his heart to us. And then we open our heart to him that our soul explodes with all the blessings that he offers and we are filled up and we are overflowing. Now, when we talk about giving money, we have to begin with grace. We have to begin with that movement of God in our lives that explodes our soul, that blows our minds, that, that uh, as... Uh, Stephanie voice said last week, blows our hair back because it's so awesome. It's, it's that experience with God, receiving His grace, that awakens us to extravagance. God's grace makes us extravagant. God's grace makes us extravagant in our relationships. No longer was I living with my hands clenched around my heart. I wasn't trying to protect it any longer, although I would do the same again later in life. But, but, But I wasn't trying to protect my heart anymore because God had surrounded me with himself, and I felt safe, right? Secure, accepted, loved, forgiven. He overwhelmed me with an extravagant love. And it's that grace that led me to be extravagant in my life, to release my heart, to have an open heart to God and an open hand to others, all right? Uh, You think of it this way. It's throughout Scripture how God's grace makes us extravagant, gives us extravagant ideas, extravagant ways of life, and makes us extravagant givers, I, the one that always captures me is the story of Noah. Not our text today, just an, an example. And, and Noah, Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 4 says that Noah found grace or favor in the sight of God. That Hebrew term for grace or favor there in Genesis 6, 4 is the Hebrew term, Ain. I just like to say that, Cain. And, and literally it means to stoop or to bend. Thank you. And and it is a picture of God stooping over in an act of kindness, not because you earned it or deserve it or there's anything in you that merits him doing this, but God, because of who he is, bends over in an act of kindness and grace and mercy and makes himself available to us. So in Genesis 6-4, it says that Noah found that favor, that grace... In the sight of God. That God exploded Noah's soul with grace. So much so that Noah then began to live an extravagant life. For there is nothing more extravagant than to build an ark on dry land. Noah was extravagant because of God's grace. Our text this morning is the story of Zacchaeus, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. And the story of Zacchaeus is a picture of God and His grace making us extravagant. Uh, the story of, of Zacchaeus is pretty simple. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. To get to Jerusalem, He's passing through Jericho, and He's on this uphill journey from Jericho up to Jerusalem, and and he's on the outskirts of Jericho, he encounters a man that needed some help, a blind man, and, and the blind man cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and healed that man, and the reverberations of that, of that healing began to beat throughout the streets of jerusalem sir of jericho and certainly the people in jericho had already heard of jesus certainly zacchaeus had already heard of jesus but but right there on the outskirts of the city jesus had healed a man that was blind and so the streets of jericho main street of jericho was lined with people wanting to see this jesus and zacchaeus wanted to see him as well zacchaeus um, is known as a wee little man, uh, but more importantly that his short stature was the fact that he was a tax collector, which made him an enemy of the community in Jericho. The people in Jericho, the the Jewish people in Jericho, despised Zacchaeus and all other tax collectors. Uh, In their mind, there was a hot place in hell reserved for all tax collectors. In their mind, we don't think that way today. The reason they despised Zacchaeus was because he was a traitor. Zacchaeus was a Jewish man who was a representative of the Roman government, the oppressive power, the conquering force, collecting money at exorbitant rates to give to Rome and to keep some for himself. He was an enemy. And yet, this enemy who was excluded from church, he he was not welcome in the Jewish church. Uh, He he could not show up there. And this this tax collector, this sinner, he he knew that Jesus was a man of importance and influence and power, and he wanted to see him. And so the story goes, and you've perhaps heard the story, Zacchaeus uh, couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd, so he climbed up a sycamore tree. And Scripture says that as Jesus is walking by at the corner of Main Street and Sycamore Street, Jesus stops under the tree. And he says to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, stop, let's stop right there. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. Nobody had told him. He didn't have a handler next to him say, That's Zacchaeus up there. Jesus knew it was Zacchaeus because it was his mission to seek and to save the lost. And he stopped under the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for I must... Go to your house today. I've got to spend some time with you. Zacchaeus came down. And the crowd that saw Jesus walk away with Zacchaeus into Zacchaeus' home, the faithful Jewish folk, they were perturbed. Verse 7 says that they murmured among them. They grumbled about it. They, they were not happy about it. They were perturbed. Why? Because Jesus was spending time with the enemy. And, let me read verses 8, 9, and 10. It says, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, this is after Jesus had spent time in Zacchaeus's home, um, and, and they're coming back out. And Zacchaeus says, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. All right, so as we break this, as we break this passage apart, especially verse 8, so we break it apart, we learn some lessons about ourselves. The, the primary emphasis here is how that God's grace visited Zacchaeus' life, brought into Zacchaeus' life by Jesus, then transformed to Zacchaeus and opened his heart. And that's, that's, that's key for us. See, it is God's grace that opens our hearts. I'm sure that Zacchaeus had many people who would gather around him and come and petition him to stop being so hard upon his fellow citizens in Jericho. I'm sure that there were people who would come and say, you need to stop behaving the way you're behaving you need to you need to start doing better and be better and getting better and and stop being a traitor you I'm sure that there were many people who got around uh, Zacchaeus and tried to influence him and and I don't know maybe Zacchaeus even tried to influence himself but Zacchaeus lived with his hands clenched around his heart he had a closed heart closed hands until he met Jesus And when he met Jesus, everything changed. When he met Jesus, God's grace took hold of his heart and exploded his soul. God's grace opens our hearts. God's grace opens our hearts to give. We'll get to uh, more about Zacchaeus giving, but just look. He said, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor, and I'm going to give four times what I've defrauded people of. That's extravagance. Now, why was he so extravagant? It was because he had a taste of God's grace. Guys, listen, when you get a taste of God's grace, it's supposed to make you extravagant, not miserly. You might say, well, my personality, I'm 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 a conservative person. Not when it comes to God's grace. See, again, remember, if you can... That day when you received God's grace. Do you remember it? Remember, if you can, that moment when God's grace got hold of your heart, when your life was changed by God's grace. You repented your sin, you placed your faith in Jesus, and your whole landscape changed. You began to see yourself through a different lens. I'm loved, I'm accepted by God, I'm forgiven. You began to see your future through a different lens. I'm no longer trying to make a future for myself. I've received a future because of God and His grace. You began to see your circumstances in a different way. It was no longer doom and gloom and despair on me, but now I'm forgiven. I can can walk through even the stormiest days with a dance in my step because God has loved me. He's forgiven me. He empowers me. God has stooped over in an act of kindness, and he's unleashed himself on me. I am known by God. I know God. My life has changed. My heart's transformed. Zacchaeus no longer lived with his hands clenched around his heart, but now he was open hearted and open handed. Because that's what God's grace does. If you've tasted God's grace, you know what I'm talking about. Maybe you've forgotten it. Maybe you've gone back to your heart-clenching ways. But God wants to help you out of that disease kind of thinking today. God's grace opens our hearts. God's grace opens our hearts And open hearts excel in meeting needs. That's what open hearts do. See, an open heart is no longer closed. See, the mentality that many of us possess, and even as followers of Christ, when we forget God's grace, we forget the extravagance of God's love for us, what happens to us is we then become self-centered again. No longer focus on God's grace or considering only the bucket full of grace that we've already gotten, we get back into this heart-clenching, closed-hearted way of life, protecting ourselves, not being vulnerable, not trusting God. But when we remember God's grace, When we, as followers of Christ, when we rehearse God's grace, when we focus on on God's grace, not on our our resources, not on our protection, not on our preservation, but we look at God's grace, it's in that moment that God takes hold of our heart again. And he says, now be open-hearted and open-handed. It's in that moment that Zacchaeus Decided he wasn't going to be a bucket, he was going to be a pipe. Salvation had come to his home. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, had sought him out and had rescued him. He was a recipient of God's extravagant love and grace. So he was going to do what an open heart naturally does. He's going to meet some needs. And he said very simply, I give half my goods to the poor. Because that's what open hearts do. No longer was he just going to be a receptacle of God's grace, but now he was going to be a conduit through which that grace could flow. He wasn't just going to receive God's blessings. He was then going to be a conduit through which those blessings could flow and touch other people's lives. This is Zacchaeus' experience. This is the picture of the first church. And this is the mandate on our church. And folks, you're the church. See, the mandate on us is to allow the resources, the grace, the provision that God has given us to flow through us toward others. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. In both of these passages, we see this fledgling church, this fledg- fledgling congregation of believers. They get together, and, 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 and man, they've seen God do amazing things. They've been recipients of God's grace, but <clears throat> they are not content to be a bucket. They want to be a pie. And it says in Acts 2, 45 and 46, it, uh, it says that, uh, or 44 and 45, it says that, that they got together, they had all things in common, they had one heart, one mind, and then it says that they took all their possessions, they put it together so that they could bless people who had needs. Extravagant open-heartedness. In Acts chapter 4, it tells the story even more profoundly. A guy named Barnabas sells all of his property and he brings it and he lays it at the feet of the disciples and says, now let's bless some people. Let's meet some needs. Did it in an extravagant way. Zacchaeus said, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. Now, can I ask you a question? When it comes to your money, Is your extravagance matching the extravagance that God has poured out toward you in giving grace? This is not about amounts of money. It's just about extravagance. Zacchaeus could give half his goods to the poor. My guess is we could give half our closets to the poor. In my house, I hope we do. an open heart is looking to meet needs and as a church this is supposed to be a family of faith filled with open hearted people is it reflected in your giving by the way do you realize this is not talking about some metaphor, this is talking about money Luke 19 talking about money, Acts 2 talking about money and property, Acts 4 talking about money and property See, how we, how we are extravagant for the cause of Christ with our resources, with our money, is a demonstration of whether we're living a closed-hearted life or an open-hearted, open-handed life. We're called to be a conduit. The third thing from this passage, not only open hearts meet needs, excel in meeting needs, but, but open hearts give more than expected an open heart a heart that's been opened God, by God's grace is going to give more than expected now look at Zacchaeus Zacchaeus said if I've defrauded anybody I'm going to give them four times what what I I'm them back their money and give them uh four times more so if he if he stole a dollar he's going to give them five dollars he's going to give them back the original dollar and He's going to give them four more dollars and that's what he said uh, that's an amazing act of extravagance because in Leviticus 6, it says that here's what you're supposed to do. Le- Leviticus 6, it tells us that when, and this is God's law, this is the law. And he says, if you steal from somebody, you give them back a dollar and then give them 20 cents on top of that. You steal a dollar from somebody, you give them the dollar back, and then you give them 20 cents more. That, that's the law. But Zacchaeus said, I'm not having none of the law. He said, the law condemned me. I'm not going to have the law. The law is what made me feel guilty. I'm not going to have any of the law. The law is what excluded me from community. He said, I'm a recipient of God's grace. So I'm going to give according to grace. And if I've robbed somebody of money, I'm not going to give them their original dollar back. I'm going to give them their original dollar and four more dollars. I'm going to give them four times what I took from them. Because of the extravagance of God's grace in me, because I've been forgiven much, I'm going to do everything I can to bless other people. We get here today, and guys, I've told you time and time again, I'm not trying to put law on you because law, law's no fun. But boy, grace is a party. Law, 10%. That's the law we have in churches today. Law is 10%. But as we have received extravagance from God, we don't give according to the law. We now give according to grace. We allow ourselves to be an avenue where extravagance that flows from the throne of God to our heart, then flows from our heart to other people. I'll leave you with this thought in this 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In Second Corinthians chapter 8, we see the first church, or the, the church in Corinth, um, Paul is trying to motivate them. Um, he's, he's trying to motivate them, and in chapters 8 and 9, he's motivating them. He's talking about money. He's saying, I'm trying to motivate you to give more money. That, that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is all about. I'm trying to motivate you to give money. All right? And so as he's trying to motivate them, he, he, he and, and that's kind of what I'm doing here. So I don't feel guilty about it. Right? And so, uh, so what Paul did is he said, Now, in order to motivate you, I'm going to tell you about believers in Macedonia, the churches of Macedonia, Now listen to what he says about churches in Macedonia. And and by the way, in verse 7 he says, I'm telling you about the churches in Macedonia not to give you an admonition or a command. I'm telling you about to test the sincerity of your love. Boy, what, what if the way we gave was a picture of how much we loved? What would our giving say? So here, I just want to read verses one and two. He said, Now we want you to know, brethren, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Get the language there. First of all, God's grace, that's the source. God's grace is the source. And, and Paul says, now, because of the grace of God, in their severe affliction, that means suffering. That means that they were, they were entering tough times, economic downturn to the extreme. In their severe affliction, in, in their severe affliction, affliction, they had overflowing joy that matched the severest of their poverty. So that the result would be a wealth of generosity. He was saying, they didn't have much, but boy, when they gave, they gave extravagantly. Now, as we get together, what happens is we start, anytime we think about tithing, money, giving, that kind of thing, we, start, we, we automatically start thinking about, well, I don't know that I can afford it. You're asking me to be extravagant, pastor. I I just don't know if I can afford it. I understand. Believe me, I understand. I understand that that thought process. I understand because I've been there. I understand. But can I just share with you what 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2 is talking about? What what Paul is saying is that this real-life example of churches in Macedonia... They had a small conduit. They they didn't have a lot of money, didn't have a lot of resources, and they were suffering. But they determined that they weren't going to look at what they could afford. They were going to look at what God had given. And as they focused on the grace of God and His extravagance to them, they determined that they would be extravagant in their giving as they focused on, their, on the grace of God and His extravagance toward them, they found joy that would match their poverty. So that when they gave, they gave with a wealth of generosity. They were extravagant. And even though their pipe was small, it seemed as if God was expanding their pipe as they gave I I don't know how God does it I really can't the math doesn't work but somehow when we give even when we think we can't afford it and in our hearts filled with joy because of God's grace we determine to give extravagantly for us And we think, if I give extravagantly, it's going to be baloney the rest of the month. But somehow, when we decide to give in an extravagant way, God begins to expand the pipe. So that we have all that we ever needed. And we're filled up with joy and we gave in a way that we never imagined we could. That's the story of my family so many times. I I told you, when when Emily Catherine was born, then Elizabeth was born, I was getting my PhD, working full-time. Edie wasn't working. We were living off $14,500 a year. And church went through a building campaign. (laughs) Hurt me. But Edie and I prayed and we determined we're going to be extravagant. And I've looked at the balance sheet. I've looked at the spreadsheet. Do you know I didn't make any more money that year? But somehow we always had more than we had the year before. Even though we gave more than we had the year before. Just understand. It doesn't make sense in the accounting world. But it sure does make sense in God's kingdom. The more you give, the more you receive. God expands the pipe and you can become even more extravagant in your giving. The key of this passage is the power of Jesus Christ to change your heart. So I beg you today, stop living closed-hearted and tight-fisted. Start living today open-hearted, and open-handed, and you will taste the abundance of joy.